0: If you have your Bible here this morning, turn with me to John chapter 18. I'm going to be starting a new series of messages going into the fall. And the title of the series is Lies About God. And I was burdened to preach these messages because there are so many misunderstandings, myths, and just straight up lies told in our culture about God. And these are important that we address So this series is designed to not only address a lot of these lies, but it's going to touch on a lot of cultural, political, and other things going on in our society, and so it should be a spicy series. Uh, We're not afraid to touch on controversial topics here, but the lie today that we're going to be dealing with, the lie, Jesus was a socialist. Socialist. Maria Ballo grew up in Venezuela as the country transitioned to socialism under the regime of Hugo Chavez. She remembers empty shelves at grocery stores, the state-imposed censorship, the soaring crime rates, and the destruction of a once-thriving nation. Maria escaped to America at age 17 as a college student where she entered the University of Virginia, and there she was given one of her first assignments in a writing class, composed an essay describing a country that they had visited. She decided to write on Venezuela and the terrible things that she had witnessed as socialism turned that country into an impoverished wasteland. When Maria received her grade, she was shocked. She was awarded a 70, which is one point away from failure. When she asked why she earned such a low grade, her professor said, the things you've wrote about in this essay are untrue. And Maria replied, with all due respect, I am from Venezuela. I lived this. And the professor answered, maybe so, but you can't talk about socialism like that in my class. It was at that moment that Maria realized that the socialist hallmark of censorship she tried to escape by coming to America was already at work in the education system. She gave her testimony in a PragerU video in which she said this, quote, socialism doesn't work and it doesn't matter where you implement it. They tell you everyone is going to be equal, but what they really mean is everyone is going to be equally poor except the people in power. They also promise free stuff, health care, education, jobs, but all that comes at a cost. America needs to realize you will trade your freedom, your speech, and your prosperity for a socialist nightmare. Venezuela is a sad case study on the evils of socialism. At one time, Venezuela was the wealthiest nation in South America. The per capita income of its citizens was greater than those of China and Japan. But today, Venezuela is a wasteland of poverty and anarchy. In fact, 96% of the people live below the poverty line on less than $1 a day. They have seen an incredible 10 million percent inflation rate and an estimated 5.5 million Venezuelans have fled the country. This is why, my friend, it is unthinkable that America or any other nation would even entertain or consider implementing socialist policies. Recent polls, though, in America show that 40% of Americans have a favorable view of socialism. And moreover, that stat raises among young people below the age of 30, of whom 61% say they would support a socialist candidate. It's interesting that Venezuelans are out in their streets protesting socialism, and you've got Americans in the streets demanding socialism. God has given us over to a foolish and a debased mind. Socialists argue that if Jesus were running for office today, he would be a socialist too. Kelly Rose, who founded the Democratic Socialists of America, she said in an NPR interview, if anyone was ever a socialist, it was Jesus. Raphael Warnock, a U.S. senator from Georgia, has contended that, quote, the early church was a socialist church. I don't think my brother has read the book of Acts. Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the former president of the Soviet Union, who just died just a few weeks ago, he said this, quote, Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. Friend, don't you find it interesting that the people who want to remove God and Christianity from every aspect of our public life suddenly pivot and want to use Jesus and the Bible to form a political statement? I mean, is there anything greater in terms of hypocrisy? This is one of the major lies being told about God today. And it works because most people are biblically illiterate so they don't know who Jesus really is and they also don't know what socialism really is either. They've been sold a lie. The left has convinced people that socialism is compassionate. It's fair. It's good for human progress. It's the key to achieving utopia, they argue. And if Jesus were here on the earth, this is what he would have wanted as well. Now, before we move on into this message, let me define what I mean. When I say socialism, what am I talking about? Well, it is a form of government in which the means of production, that is, the infrastructure, the farms, the factories, the health the natural resources, the media, the education, all of that should be under the control of the state. A cornerstone of socialism is the redistribution of wealth, where the state becomes the mechanism for giving out land, money, resources, etc. It's basically, if you want to boil it down, it's this. Socialism is the idea that government is God, right? Our currency says, in God we trust, but in the socialists, they would say, in government we trust. Every time I see a political candidate promising free college and health care and a ton of other socialized programs, I often think about this funny meme that I have seen on social media. It's a picture of Bernie Sanders, who is a declared socialist, explaining his program with a baseball player. And there he is holding the bat, and he says, when, Under my plan, when you hit a grand slam, two of those other runs will go to the other team. <laughs> In the message today, I want to help you to think through this claim, this claim that Jesus was a socialist. We're going to debunk this lie, and hopefully I'm going to help you to understand why this matters to your Christian walk. Number one, I want you to see this morning, the politics of the Savior. The politics of the Savior. There's at least three reasons why we can refute this nonsense claim from the words of jesus they go like this the first reason is that jesus is greater than government jesus is greater than government remember i told you to turn to john 18 and drop down to verse 36 and verse 37 jesus is speaking to Pilate here this is the trial right before his crucifixion verse 36 jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered unto the Jews but my kingdom is not from the world then Pilate said to him so you are a king and Jesus said you say that I am a king and for this purpose I was born and this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me So as Jesus stands before the Roman governor Pilate, he makes a bold statement. And what he's saying here, listen friend, is the might of Rome has no authority over Jesus except the authority which the heavenly Father had given. Not only that, but notice what he's saying here. My rule, my reign, my authority, my position is much bigger than the Roman Empire. It's much bigger than the USSR. It's much bigger than China. It's much bigger than the United States. His kingdom was spiritual and eternal and did not operate by the rules or the dictates of fallen man. Friend, Christ came to rule in the hearts of men and women. And when Christ sits on the throne of the heart, then naturally it's going to affect our politics and our morals and our society From the inside out. I know some people get uneasy when the preacher starts talking about politics. They say, oh you pastors, you shouldn't be political. You shouldn't talk about these controversial things. Well friend, do you think that Jesus wants you to be neutral about that? Do you think he wants you to give up ground and let the pagans and the sinners and the God-haters make all the laws and all the ways that society should operate? I don't think so. Jesus sits on my heart. He forms my mind, my opinion, my morals, and from that flows everything else of my life. He told me to be salt and light, so I can't just sit down and shut up about something that is so important. You see, Jesus wants us to be salt and light in every aspect of our lives, our work life, our, our, what we do when we go in the voting booth, our home life, every aspect of life. No, Christianity is not a political religion, but true Christianity will shape our politics. And we're dual citizens. We're citizens first of heaven and then second of the earth in these United States. Je- listen, Jesus didn't come to solve poverty, poverty. He didn't come to reform the Roman Empire. He didn't come to abolish slavery. He did not come to seek social justice. Jesus came to deal with the root problem of every ill and uh, tragedy and evil that we have in this world. And it's a problem called sin. That's why Jesus came. To bear the sins of the world and to provide for us a way to come to salvation. So to say that Jesus is a socialist is absolute foolishness because I'm here today to tell you He doesn't fit into any of our political categories. He's not socialist. He's not capitalist. Jesus isn't republican. He's not democrat. He's bigger than any empire, nation, or king. Jesus can't be forced into any of our racial or religious boxes. Somebody help me today in the house of God. Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over, friend. And what we need to realize today is that if Jesus were here preaching, he'd stroll up to the White House, he'd go to the Senate, he'd go to Congress, and he'd say to both Republicans and Democrats, it's time to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we need to say that to all of our political representatives. Repent. Because all your authority is derived from the, what God may give you and Jesus is greater than any of our governments. Like what Abe Lincoln said about the Civil War when he was asked about it, he said, my concern is not whether God is on our side, my greatest concern is to be on God's side, for He is always right. I want to be on Jesus' side in every issue. Amen? Amen. So the politics of the Savior Jesus is greater than government. Then notice this. Jesus never advocated for government coercion to help the poor, but compassion. This is very important. Because what defines socialism is not a concern for the poor, but it is the desire to use the state to control and redistribute wealth. But coercion is not the biblical motivation for helping people. (laughs) It's compassion. God wants you to do things out of the love that he's put in your heart, the Christ-like love that you have for the poor or the needy or the downcasts. To be forced into compassion isn't, isn't real. Remember Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan? It's over there in Luke chapter 10. The brilliance of that story is that Jesus flipped the social expectation on its head and he made the Samaritan the hero of the story. But notice what happened in Luke chapter 10. It's coming up on the screen. When the Samaritan comes by and discovers that one who's been beaten up and left on the road, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said now you go and do likewise. Notice this, friend. Everything the Samaritan did was out of a heart of love and out of his own pocket, out of his own expense because he had compassion. If the socialists really want to help the poor, then they need to give from their own pocketbook and volunteer their own time and their own resources because when the government gets involved in anything, oh, brother, There's corruption, there's inefficiency, and as President Reagan once said, some of the most dangerous words ever uttered is, I'm here from the government, and I'm here to help. Right? Ask yourself, friend, to help the needy, would Jesus prefer that you give out of your own generosity, either to a church, or from your own pocket, or through a charity, or would he rather it be given to politicians so that it be taxed and then passed through a bureaucratic system of evil? Right, it's very simple. Jesus never advocated government control. He advocated compassion. Because, friend, here's what here's what they won't tell you. At its root, socialism is theft. That's a shocking statement, but it's true. Because it works as long as you have other people's money. And it's at its root, socialism is taking the hard work from one group and giving it to another. Erwin Lutzer put it like this, great quote. He said, you cannot legislate the poor into freedom by legislating the wealthy out of freedom. What one person receives without working for, another one must work for without receiving. The government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody else. Remember a few years ago when we all got those government stimulus checks? Oh, how great and how generous the federal government was to us. No, where do they get that money? From you and me. We didn't get nothing. In fact, we're paying for it right now. Every time you go to the gas pump and every time you go to the store, it's called inflation. So what else can we say about the politics of the Savior? Jesus is greater than government, amen? Number two, Jesus never advocated for coercion but for compassion. And then thirdly, Jesus calls us to be good stewards, not good socialists. I get this from Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching what's known as the parable of the talents. And in that story, a wealthy man entrusts his money to a group of servants to invest and get back a profit. And the Bible says that when the wealthy man returns to check on the progress of his servants, he discovers that two of the servants were shrewd and were industrious, and they doubled their master's money. However, there was one servant that did nothing. In fact, the Bible says he just took his talent and buried it in the ground. You remember that? He was lazy. He was unproductive. And that's the one that Jesus rebuked. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 25, starting in verse 26. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what's the general principle here? Here's the... Lesson that Jesus is trying to teach through this parable Is that we're to take our resources Our talent Our time Our treasure And we're to use it in such a way Investing it in the kingdom of God And the lives of people That we bring about the maximum impact for the gospel So Christ is calling us to be good stewards Realizing that one day We're going to have to stand before our master And give an account For everything that we have been given All of our opportunities All of our wealth All of our resources And we had better not foolishly waste it on things that don't matter. Now, friend, if Jesus were a socialist, you wouldn't expect him to come and rebuke the servant who did nothing. Notice what Jesus says there. He says, take from the man who didn't do anything with my talent and give it to the servant who was responsible and who did what I asked him to do. Friends, that's the opposite of socialism. And I'm here today to tell you, that God's in rewards. We don't get our salvation. We don't achieve our salvation by doing things, but we are saved. And one day after uh, we stand before Christ, he's going to judge the works that we've done after we've been saved and rewards will be given. That's another principle from this passage. God is into rewards. He's going to give us positions of authority and crowns and And things to do in his eternal kingdom. He's not concerned about equity of outcome like you hear about today. Christ is going to honor faithfulness and hard work and perseverance. But socialism is counterproductive. Because socialism punishes success and industry and diligence. And rewards those who are unproductive. Listen. When you take the fruit of somebody's hard work. And you give it to somebody who does nothing. To earn that, you know what you do? You kill the motivation for both parties. You've killed the motivation for me to work hard and build up my best because I reason, well, it doesn't matter what I do. The government's just going to come in and take everything that I have and give it away. And on the other side, it takes the motivation out of the person who's receiving because they say, well, I don't have to work. I don't have to do anything. My God is government and they're going to take care of me. That's what they want. A lot of the people, the left and so on, who are in power, they want you to become dependent on a nanny state. So that then when you're dependent, you're like an addict, they hold that over your head, and they can do whatever they want to and tell you what to believe or else they'll take away. We see this happening in our country right now. Have you ever seen a time where you're driving around in our nation and everywhere you go, now hiring, Now hiring, now hiring. If you wanted a job, oh, man, this is the market to go get one. And yet we see, this is a stat put out by Fox News this week. Unprecedented labor shortage in the U.S. right now. Forty percent of Americans of working age not working. They could be able-bodied, but they're not. That's not just an economic disaster, that's a social disaster. That means 90 million Americans of working age are not actually working. And you know what the reason why? Generous welfare and unemployment benefits. I'm not saying don't help people, certainly. A hand up, not a hand out. But friend, the Bible has a lot to say about working hard. He who does not work will not eat. He who does not provide for his family, what is worse than an infidel Maybe some young people need to hear this. Still living at home in mom and dad's basement and your SpongeBob square pants, pajamas, playing video games, not doing anything. Get out and have a life. Go to work. I'm going to go one step further. Don't be like this current generation. Find you a boy or a girl of the opposite sex marry them, start a family, take them to the house of God to hear the preaching of the Word of God. That's what God has called us to do. Yes, Not to go to some university and get our head filled with a bunch of liberal nonsense It's going to turn us into a bunch of n- sissies. Man, that ain't, that ain't politically correct today, is it? But you know what? We need to hear it as a culture. People say, well, well, we'll get it turned around to the next election cycle. Listen, friend, we don't have too many election cycles to turn it around. We're in a dangerous spot. we got to wake up as a church and as a nation, as a people, and realize it's up to me. It's up to me to live for God. It's up to me to teach my family, to raise my kids. It's up to me and my church to reach this godless generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can and we will. Amen? Amen. I'm going to get canceled. Y'all just watch. (laughs) Number one, the politics of the Savior. Number two, the problems with socialism. I'm going to take you to school for a minute. I'm going to tell you what's really happened through history with with the socialist program. Socialism is one of the worst scourges ever forced upon humanity. It's no exaggeration to say that it has been responsible for more suffering than any other form of government out there. What's wrong with socialism? Well, first off, socialism is demonic. It's demonic. And I I believe that truly. And I can prove it. Here's how. You look at the founder. Look at where the idea came from. It came from a man named Karl Marx. To understand socialism, you have to understand... The evil man named Karl Marx. And when you understand who he was and how he lived, you can see how dangerous his ideas really are. A biographer of Marx once described him like this. This is a direct quote, biography on Marx. Quote, Marx had the devil's view of the world. The devil's malignity. Sometimes he seemed to know he was accomplishing works of evil. His family, his own family members believed that Karl Marx was possessed by the devil. Marx's partner, Frederick Engels, who helped him author the Communist Manifesto, said this, 10,000 devils had him by the hair. He wrote a poem, Marx did, in 1837. It was called The Pale Maiden. And listen, this was his spiritual worldview. Here's what he said. Thus heaven I forfeited, I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, is chosen For hell. In 1849, one year after publishing the work of the Communist Manifesto, Marx was evicted by his landlord who was fed up with his filthiness because his apartment was a pigsty. He never held a real job. He mooched off everybody. Who does that sound like? Know anybody in the news lately? He fathered an illegitimate child by his handmaid His wife and daughters were so miserable living under the tyranny of Marx, they committed suicide. Marx died in despair in 1883. And in his final letter to his friend Ingalls, he said this, quote, how pointless and empty life is. And we're teaching this philosophy in our universities and colleges and probably even now high schools and lower grades, that this is enlightened thinking. Marx was buried in Highgate Cemetery in London, which is considered the center of Satanism. The point is this. As Christians, we need to realize that the battle for the soul of this nation is not merely political. It's spiritual. We are fighting against forces of evil. This is light versus dark, good versus evil. And I'm not just huffing this up to make it something bigger than what it really is. This is not turning a molehill into a mountain. This is spiritual warfare. Because this philosophy and this doctrine and this teaching comes straight from the pit of hell. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers and the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So said Paul in Ephesians 6, 12 So the point is this. You had better pray. You had better take this book. You talk about Facebook? Face book. Boom. That's what we need. With our young people. With our families. Husbands and wives. Put the face in the book. Let the word of God change you from the inside out. That's how we fight this spiritual battle. We get a hold of a couple of friends and say, let's go to the prayer room. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our church. Let's rebuke the enemy in the authority of Jesus' name. And let's drive out this evil from our schools. And from our neighborhoods. And from our places of, of politics. Now you applause now. I want to see how many of you show up Wednesday night in the prayer room. We have prayer every Wednesday night over there in my classroom after Bible study. I hope all of y'all come. You just applauded for it. Put your money where your mouth is. Socialism is not only demonic, it's despotic. It's despotic. The dystopian society that socialism creates plays right into the spirit of the Antichrist, which the Bible says is already at work in the world. Socialism is a means to an end for the Antichrist. Notice what 1 John says, John 2, 18 and 4, 3. Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, and therefore we know that it is the last hour. And every spirit, John 4, 3 says, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. You see, friend, we need to realize the time and the season that we're living in. I mentioned earlier we don't have enough election cycles to wait this thing out. Why? Because we're getting closer and closer and closer to the final stage of world history. The pieces are being put together. The stage is being set. I believe God is about to give the word for the curtain to rise and for the final act of God's divine drama to begin. And that means the Antichrist. That means tribulation. That means God's judgment coming upon, yes, even America. It's already here. And socialism plays right into that totalitarian regime that the Antichrist is going to set up where he controls everything about people's lives, even their spending. And I know on the surface, oh, it sounds so good. This is why socialism is so popular on university campuses because most of those kids haven't worked and they haven't lived long enough and they haven't read history so they don't know what they don't know, right? Right? So it's easy to deceive somebody when they're just ignorant. And I'm not putting them down, right? I'm just saying they don't know. But let me give you a reality check. It sounds good. But what they really mean is 1% of the ruling class stealing the wealth of the nation while the other 99% are suffering in poverty. If you want a stark picture of that difference, look at the image I'm about to put up here on the screen. This is a nighttime satellite image. In the north, that outline where it's completely dark, that's North Korea. Totalitarian socialist regime. Right below it, that's South Korea. We fought a war there called the Korean War. Did it make a difference? I think so. Look what happened in South Korea. All the lights are on. What are we doing here in America? (laughs) Power failure. Power grid can't handle it, they say, in the state of California. We're going to shut you down. But in North Korea, it's totally socialist, totally communist. This is a reality check. People living in the dark under the deception of a despotic ruler. And the Bible says that's actually what's coming at the end of time during the tribulation period. Winston Churchill wrote this. He said, The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings and the inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of blessings misery you say how can i escape preacher how do i escape the darkness that's about to come on the whole world where the whole world is into global government you need to repent you need to trust in jesus christ you need to make him your lord and savior you need to wake up and not play games anymore and realize that time is dwindling and you've got to serve and live for jesus christ repent of your sin turn to him and let him change you Socialism is despotic, it's demonic. Socialism is deadly. In 1999, the Black Book of Communism was published, and it attempted to calculate the death toll of the nations during the 20th century who had adopted Marxism. Listen to what it revealed. The most colossal case of carnage in history. So they tallied up the death toll in all the nations where they implemented socialism and communism, and here was the result. In the 20th century, Latin America, 150,000 dead. Eastern Europe, 1 million. Vietnam, 1 million. Africa, 1.7 million. Cambodia, 2 million. North Korea, 2 million. USSR, 20 million. China, 65 million. And the final tally, approximately 93 million deaths all resorting from These totalitarian states where they starve their people, where they shove them in prisons and gulags, and where they persecute the church and shut everything down. The loss of life is greater in these communist states than the total deaths from both world wars combined and doubled. All the men and women who died in World War I and World War II, combine that, double it, it doesn't even come to this number right here. And they want to bring it to this country. In light of this, every American and every Christian should totally reject this. David Jeremiah said it best. He said, quote, Marxism is among the worst ideas ever conceived. Just ask its oppressed multitudes and countless casualties. As God's people, we should be aware of its history, herald its dangers, and oppose its spread. What do we do, preacher? You have hit me. Over the head with a ton of bricks. What do I do? Three things. Number three, the principles for saints. What do we do with all this? How do we respond? Number one, we must resist the pressure to conform. Resist the pressure to conform. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We've got to realize that we no longer have the home field advantage. We're like Daniel living in pagan Babylon. We're like Joseph living in Egypt. We're like Paul in Rome. And the world system is constantly trying to push us into its mold it's on social media. It's on television. It's everywhere. They are trying to push you, indoctrinate you, brainwash you into their way of thinking. And if you don't, they cancel you, vilify you, demonize you. We have to have our heels dug in and re- resolve ourselves of the fact that we will not cave in. That I serve a mighty God. That I've got a word of God that I'm surrounded by the people of God and that I can fight this battle and that I don't have to be a sheep in the world. I can know the truth. I can live against the grain of society. I don't have to think like them and vote like them and live like them. I can be who God called me to be. Amen. By the way, to some of these spineless preachers out here who won't stand on the Word of God, stop trying to change my Jesus into something He was never meant to be. He's not a socialist. He's the Savior of the world who died on an old cross to save you and me. Stop trying to turn Jesus into some pansy or wimp or some political statement. He's the Son of God who's coming one day in power and victory to rule and reign. And any time the government might try and force us to violate our conscience or our biblical beliefs, we have a responsibility to stand up and speak up. Amen? We will remain civil, but we will not remain silent. We will not be bullied. We will not be intimidated. We won't shut down the church. We're not hide our gospel lamp under a bush. We're going to keep keeping on for the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm not conforming to this world. Somebody help me in the house of God. Amen. Resist the pressure to conform. Rekindle your commitment to the gospel. Jesus said in John eight, "You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed." You realize where the fastest growing church in the world is? China. Listen to what Open Doors is it's just reporting. An estimated 97.8 million Christians are in China. That's about 14% of the total, 1.4 billion population in that country. What a tremendous encouragement to you and I, reminding us that even in one of the most repressive, backward, and wicked states, countries in the world, the gospel is gaining ground. You see, the communist leaders, they haven't read this book and they don't know what you and I know, that when you try and stamp and shut out the gospel, it only goes forward and triumphs and grows because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He also said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? We need to have some backbone and realize as Christians that our Lord said that. And we need to believe it and live in light of it. And isn't it interesting that Christianity is growing in communist China and it's dying here in the United States. Why is that? Well, I'm going to be preaching on it in the next few weeks. It's because our churches have gone soft. Our churches have gone woke. Our churches support every single little virtue signaling social program, but they don't preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not here at Liberty Baptist Church. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to open that book. We're going to see what God has to say about it. And you know what? We're going to love our culture. We're going to love our sinners in our our society and in our country because we realize that we have the book with the answers. It's going to free them from the deception that they are in. We need to believe it and we need to act on it. But you know what? If the Lord tarries and if the current trend continues, China may be sending missionaries to the United States one day. Think about that. If our churches don't wake up and repent, and some pulpits get hot with the fire of the gospel again, that's what we need. Lastly, review the prophetic word. Titus 2.13 Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing... Of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the gravitational pull of evil is to pull down your faith and your hope. Every day you turn on the news. You check your news feed on your phone. It's always bad news. You know what a constant stream of that will do? It'll, it'll bring you down. It'll affect your thinking. By the way, don't watch the news and try and go to bed. <laughs> right? you'll have all that junk rattling around in your mind and you're trying to get sleep. But you know what we need? An equal and opposite force of the Word of God working in our hearts and lives to renew us. And by the way, I've read to the end of the book, and Jesus wins. Amen. Amen? So no matter what we're facing here in this country, and no matter what we're going through, this is where the power of Bible prophecy comes in. It's so important. It's a lighthouse that shows us the way through the darkness Stay with Christ. He's our only hope. He's our only help. Let me finish with this. Dr. Sylvester Kirchmary was a physician and evangelist in the former Czechoslovakia during the days of communist rule. Listen to what happened in this man's life. Kirchmary was thrown in jail in 1951 by the communist police. Here was his crime. Preaching the gospel and organizing Bible studies among college students. Cancel culture, the ultimate cancel culture. Kirch Mary spent 13 years of his life languishing between labor camps, gulags, and prisons. And while behind bars, he suffered some of the most unspeakable torture and humiliation. He was beaten, he was shocked, he was depraved. And on regular attempts, the communists tried to coerce him to renounce Jesus and profess atheism. But he remained unbroken. How did he do it? In his memoir, he explained that what gave him the still resolve was simple, but it took discipline. He memorized the Word of God. And you see what he did, including scripture passages that he had already learned he memorized new ones whenever he could get his hands on a Bible that was smuggled into the prison he said this he said quote in the gulag the guards can strip everything from you even your humanity except they cannot touch what is stored deep in your heart while in prison, I found that material things which men regarded as certainties became fleeting and illusory, while faith, which the world considered ephemeral, was the most reliable and powerful foundation. And the more I deepened my faith, the stronger I became. His fellow prisoners were astonished. This man took brutal beatings but stayed joyful. He prayed for the guards. He sang hymns. He shared his bread with other prisoners. And many found that his light was bright in a dark place. And several people converted to Christianity through the witness of this man. He survived. He was released from prison in 1964. And he said those 13 years in the prison, it was an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. What about you, friend? I don't know what's coming to this country, but we have every tool that we need to prepare ourselves to live mightily for God if things get darker. And we need to be prepared for that. I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer, but what I'm saying is, take the eternal Word of God, put it in your mind, put it in your heart, and no matter what happens in this world, they'll never be able to take that away from you. They can't take my salvation. They can't take my joy. They can't take my hope. They can't take my Jesus. Amen.